Welcome to this week's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, this week is a guest that is extremely important in my life. It's someone who really helped introduce me to all of the all the things this podcast is. I honestly without without him, I wouldn't be doing this podcast because I wouldn't have a love for the outdoors, a love for adventure, a love for uh, pushing myself and doing doing some really awesome exploring, right? Um, he's my dad, <laughs> Randy Ward. Uh, I've got to sit down with him. And I've been wanting to do a podcast with him forever because like I said, he's he's always been the person in my life who gave me the opportunity to just spend time in the outdoors. Uh, growing up, he had a cabin in Southern Iowa um, on some land down there. And I just remember when I was a kid, we would just go down there and for hours I would just roam around in the woods and pretend and play and all of that stuff. And I think it's so, it's just so incredibly important to get these opportunities to figure out what you love. Uh, he was also him. And my mom were also parents who would put me in every sport um, imaginable uh, and really let me figure out what I liked and, and what I was passionate about. Um, and so I guess what I've been thinking about when, when thinking about this intro is I've been thinking about opportunity. Um, we don't really know, we might not know what we enjoy doing if we don't have the opportunity and we don't have people who care for us and love, love us and, and help give us these opportunities. And for all of us, I mean, our parents, they've, they've been able to give us opportunities and to the best of their abilities and it's just it's so it's very important in my life because growing up i was an only child and just spending time outside in the woods in my mom's she had this beautiful giant yard and just spending time roaming around and not not really doing anything organized just figuring it out for myself and having like free play and free exploration that was that shaped who I am today. Um, so I'm, I'm incredibly proud of my parents. I think they're just wonderful people. Uh, I love them very much. I'm, I just want to thank them so much because I feel like right now, all of, if I look at my life as like, I don't know if this analogy is going to make any sense, but if I look at my life as like cups, you know, like you have all sorts of cups, like the work cup, the uh, adventure cup, the family cup, all that stuff. Uh, right now, I just feel like they're all full for me. And and that's that's not my own doing. It's the doing of the people around me and the people who support me and the opportunities I've been able to have in my life. So um, I'm hoping in this episode, we can all just kind of think about the people who have who have helped us in those ways and maybe just thank them this week for for allowing us to figure out what our passions are. Um, so yeah, and I'm sitting here with my four-year-old and she's being very quiet, which is super nice. So Harper, do you have anything to say? Bigfoot. Bigfoot. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, if this is your first episode of the podcast, please go back, check out our catalog. You can find them on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, anywhere where you're finding podcasts, look up Like a Bigfoot. Uh, also want to give a shout out. I was on the unlock wellness podcast last week. Um, and I think I was episode 156, but go ahead and listen to that. Casey's awesome. Uh, check out her show. Um, what else do I want to say? Yeah, go out, have an adventure. Um, and as I'm sitting here and both my kids are just putting stickers all over me, um, I should probably wrap up this intro. So let's get into it. This is the like a Bigfoot podcast number oh man where's my numbers i believe it's number 108 hold on everybody hold on hold on a second oh man they're totally the numbers aren't coming up anymore we'll just say it's 108 uh with my dad randy ward all right so i'm here with my dad and I finally feel like a true podcast host, Dad. Do you want to know why? Why? Because I had ginger ale. <laughs> and I, I was like, sit down. Let me get you a drink. 
And so, like, I haven't done that yet. So ah, I see. You. But I the see. problem is okay. we're going to be belching throughout the podcast, ah, probably. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best not to. <laughs> but, but, yeah, man, I wanted to have you on because, well, for the longest time, really, we've kind of been planning this every time, and then we always get so busy. But, um, you know, like, I'm an outdoorsy person, and that really is based on my childhood and i just the thing i'm remembering the most is we would go down to southern iowa where you had a cabin and a bunch of acres of land and you would be doing something you're like all right chris go play and i'm like there's there's no tv here or anything (laughs) no electricity no electricity and i would just have to wander around i would like hit stuff with a stick outside and just go explore ride the four-wheeler around so so yeah, I wanted to thank you because that really, honestly, like, in, engraved in me this like love of being outside. So. Yeah, and you know what, I I feel the same way about my dad. That was, I grew up in that area in southern Iowa, the rolling hills of southern Iowa, and uh, we didn't have much. <clears throat> what we did have was loving parents, but uh, we didn't have much, and so our recreation was. Uh, you know, hunting and fishing in in, uh, in Van Buren County in southern Iowa, and I, I even became a bird watcher at a very young age uh, in that area. I, I learned that I was fascinated by different kinds of kinds of birds and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, I, I my I can say the same thing about my father. I the way I grew up uh, really ingrained in me the love of the outdoors, and I am uh, you know it makes me feel good to know that uh, you feel the same. Yeah. So, can you kind of describe Milton, Iowa? Because the way I remember it is like a town of 60 people. But I'm just, I'm curious to know, like, because you know how small towns are now. Like, so many people have moved out. Yeah. But when you're growing up, like, how big was the town? Well, it was, was probably, there... uh, it was probably three, four hundred people at that time. Okay. Uh, had businesses. Uh, hardware store, uh, you know, uh, a locker plant, uh, a grocery store, a library. There was a live town library and that type of thing. But as you say, uh, those little towns have kind of gone by the wayside. Uh, Milton, Iowa now would be primarily um, a community that's surrounded by the Amish. Yeah. Uh, and um, but uh, I, I have no regrets about uh, about the where or how i grew up yeah 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 that's cool and uh i just i this all the memories there first of all my very first memory of all time was at grandpa's house and i remember sitting there because he had that pump that went Mm -hmm. to the well Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. would prime it and then pump it to get some water and i remember sitting on his porch and i was probably like i don't even know maybe a year and a half and i remember our dog was wagging its tail and it, the tail kept hitting me right in the face. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this what life is? You just get hit by a dog tail over and over again? Uh, well, it, sometimes that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was awesome. Like, it was it was really cool to be able to – because I didn't grow up in a big city either, but compared to Milton, yeah, you know, I yep. grew up in a huge city. Yeah. And so just kind of seeing the differences of – because, you know, there's – there's small town culture and oh yeah you know unless you witness that firsthand you don't really know it or appreciate it no i remember uh when i was a kid my father was working on on road construction was not home during the summer anyway until until sun saturday night and sunday was all that he was home and then the rest of the week uh my mother would take us out and we would we would hunt for berries uh we we were gatherers uh we had a huge garden that my brother and I basically took care of. Uh, we every morning we'd get up and head for the garden with uh, with the salt shakers in our pockets to eat fresh <laughs> tomatoes and and. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I uh, and, and we raised chickens. We raised uh, something. It was a seven-acre plot of land. Uh, we raised a, a, a cow or calf to butcher, uh, hogs to butcher. Uh, we were pretty self-sufficient. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. What uh, do you remember when? Because I'm trying to remember if this actually happened. We were there. Someone's cow got out, like a neighbor, yeah, yeah. and everyone at Grandpa's house, like the whole town, was connected by CB radio. Exactly. And so he'd have the CB on and be like, "Joe, someone's my cow got out. I need some help." Do you remember this? 
Yeah, I remember the uh, I remember the Amish coming over and trying to lasso. Yeah, uh, that was it. <laughs> and the cow had like an infected eye. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. And they had to like pull the eye out or something. Yeah. And, and then wipe. Yeah, clean out the weed seed from behind the eye. I I, I watched uh, not only with cows but uh, with dogs. They, you know, that was the thing that people in those days they were their own veterinarians. Um, you know, I I think a lot of it was economics. Uh, they just didn't have the they didn't have the uh, the money to take animals to veterinarians and if, and if they couldn't uh, solve the problem then one of the neighbors probably could yeah yeah and then the neighbors would give grandpa their turtles that That's they would right. catch. he was the only one that knew how to uh how to get the turtle meat out of a turtle <laughs> yeah. i That's remember correct. i can't remember if i said it on the podcast before but i just remember going there and him being like all right we have fried chicken tonight and i just <laughs> looked at it and i'm like and i looked at you i'm like this is not fried chicken. I'm I'm like nine. Yeah. I think dad was uh, my dad couldn't keep a straight face when he when he said that to you, if I remember correctly. I'm so. like I'm only nine, but I know like this isn't this doesn't look like I I know grandpa's not gonna do the Kentucky Fried thing, yeah. but like this does not look like the chicken I know. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Nor did it taste like it. It yeah. wasn't bad. Yep. yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. So you know when you're growing up and and doing all that like. I mean, that's just part of what life was like. It wasn't like mm-hmm. this is a super fun outdoor activity. So like when did that kind of like turn into now I'm going out in the woods and going hunting and fishing for fun? Oh, that's I, we, you were very young when you were introduced to that in those days. Um, you know, recreation was <clears throat> doing things with your with your with your father or with your mother, too. But the hunting and fishing stuff. You know that would that was that was our recreation. You know, and uh, I, one of the one of the uh, times I always remember was was that I looked forward to was the first day of squirrel season. It was in September, I believe, middle of September, and uh, for, it, it kind of sig- it was kind of the end of the long hot summer and the beginning of being able to go out and uh, and hunt and fish. You know, uh, at the, and and so I always looked forward to that. That was. Uh, that was just uh, fall had begun when squirrel season came around. So I would say uh, I got into that pretty regularly at eight, nine years old. Yeah, yeah. When did you guys go on like vacations during the summer or anything like that? Or Don't well, because summer was Grandpa's busy season. Yes, he was working. away working, so yeah. we did not we did not do that. No, we did not get away from where we lived very often uh, as far as vacations are concerned. Yeah. We, if, if, if you know, I do remember. Uh, as time went on that uh, at that time, Southern Iowa um, did not have uh, pheasants. Yeah. Okay. And you had to go to central Iowa. It was a little, it was a road trip to go to pheasant hunt. And so we, the family would load up. My mom would go along. She wouldn't hunt, but she would sit in the car and, or the truck. And, and then uh, my brother and I and my dad would would pheasant hunt, and then eat, we'd we'd have lunch someplace out on a dirt road, and and that type of thing. That was that was at a time when uh, it was you could you could gain permission to go onto private land to hunt. Uh, it's very hard to do that now because of the pay to hunt type of oh. uh, attitude that that people have. But at that time, you could you could walk up, knock on a farmer's door. And asked to uh, <clears throat> to pheasant hunt, and then and most of the time, I, I, I they, they would let you. Yeah. You know. So anyway, that that was that was our uh, that was our road trip, and again another that was a time that was, uh, you know, eagerly awaited. Yeah. You know, was the opening day of pheasant season, so that we could make that trip. Yeah. That was when I was a kid. That was the kind of when you would take me on hunts and stuff. That was the one that I actually really appreciated because basically you're just going for a walk yeah. and you can talk as loud as you can that was my thing as a kid i'm like we have to be quiet i don't want to be quiet but that one you could talk as loud as you wanted you'd be like you wouldn't have a dog so you're like chris you're the dog go over there <laughs> yeah. like go through see that big thick thing of brush go through that i'm like okay <laughs> and that was like a cool way to explore some of those you know you aren't usually walking through cornfields otherwise sure you know, sure. so no, yeah, that's cool. No, I, uh, you know, I, I hate it that uh, now, you know, again, going back to when I was a kid, you literally, this would have been in the uh, probably in the 60s, 
and you you, you could not see a field in Iowa. Uh, this is a giant dump truck driving by. <laughs> you could not see you could not see a field during that opening weekend of pheasant season that there weren't orange people with orange on that were hunting those fields. And I, I don't see that any, anymore. I, I think that, that through the generations, uh, we've kind of, we've kind of lost that. And, uh, and a lot of it has to do with private landowners yeah, yeah. and not allowing access. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I feel like that, uh, you know, I, I was, I lived during a uh, period of time that, you know, uh, a very good period of time when, when those kind of activities were, were prevalent and I'm, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have grown up then. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk real quick about mushroom hunting. Cause that was my favorite, which once again, these are all like the theme here is like mushroom hunting is just a walk in the woods, but you're looking for something. <laughs> I, know that's, I, w- I always refer to it as a adult Easter egg. hunting. Yeah. You know? I mean, when you talk to people where they don't have morel mushrooms, and you try to explain the uh, the allure of that, and the fact that you that they're worth fifty dollars a pound, and, and they still are though. Yes, they pe- still yeah. People do not understand that. They don't understand the allure of of that. But again, it was something that I did with my dad and my mom. My mom was uh, very much a mushroom hunter, and uh, you know, it just I, that was uh, again a time when we just enjoyed being out there and uh, to find morel mushrooms. I, I love to eat them, but uh, just to find them again was uh, similar to uh, some type of, uh, you know, uh, accomplishment. You know, I mean, it was a you get a rush. Yeah, really. You're like, wow. Yeah, you find them, yep. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I that was and still is uh, something that's kind of a kind of a big deal. I, I still hunt morel mushrooms and and uh, enjoy the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's and then I never liked the taste of them, but you're right. Like I would love going out there and being like, "Yes, acquired taste." I didn't like. I kinda, still don't. Kind of like whiskey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, mushrooms and whiskey together, probably. Yeah, I once uh, I had a, I got a phone call a few years ago, and it was a fraternity brother of mine from long ago, and he said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I'm I'm having a." redneck fine dining and he said what's that and i said uh and i and i said morel mushrooms and uh crown royal whiskey <laughs> there you go yeah but all you do is like roll them in some butter and some crackers maybe rich some crackers eggs. and some eggs and then throw them in the frying pan and they're all right i'll say it, they've grown on me a bit Good. i just remember i you guys would always be like chris aren't you gonna eat aren't you gonna eat like aren't you gonna eat more of those i'm like no <laughs> I don't like the taste of them. No, I think it's an acquired taste. Yeah, yeah, it's, but it's good and it's fun. It's fun to do. Someone, this girl I work with, uh, she's also from Western Iowa, and she was talking about asparagus hunting. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah. I was like, we never did that. She's like, you just drive, you sit in the back of a truck, and you go through bush like dit- ditches, mm-hmm. and you look for asparagus. Yeah, you actually, uh, I did more. I, I, I found more ditch asparagus when, when I lived in Colorado than I did when really? I lived in Iowa. Yeah, you can find those around here in Colorado. But the thing is, like, it's scary if you don't know what you're looking and, for. It's scary to pick something yeah. and be like, I'm going to eat well, this. Well, the problem with, with it now is is that they spray those those ditches oh, with, with like, insecticides yeah. and stuff and uh, yeah, or, or herbicides to kill weeds and stuff, and it, it it's probably affects the that type of asparagus i haven't had a long time it could give you superpowers though too on the plus side (laughs) okay (laughs) but yeah i don't i it it's even the morel mushroom thing i mean they're pretty noticeable i don't know enough about mushroom hunting in general to know if there's another like poisonous version that looks similar but like they're pretty noticeable you Mm -hmm. know what i mean oh yeah i don't think you can go for those that you can't yeah, I've I've never done much except the morels. Yeah, you know, I mean they're they're uh, unique. They don't look like anything else, and so I think you're you're pretty safe in, in yeah. uh, gathering those. And because in Virginia, I would look up like what kind of because I'd see all like you. I'd go on a run in Virginia, and you'd see like twenty different types of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be like I know probably some of these 
you might be able to eat, but I would have no idea and like would not feel comfortable doing that right. at all. Right. You yep. know, yep. but, but yeah, the morels, like, they have just such a distinct mm-hmm. they like, do. look or whatever. Yeah. So yep. Yep. that's cool. So, uh, one thing we wanted to, I wanted to bring up and I guess like when we're talking about grandpa, I mean, did he live in Milton pretty much his whole adult life? Yeah, the, well, I think most of his life was spent in a three or four county okay. uh, area there in yeah. uh, southern Iowa. Yes, yeah. yes. So when you he like, never, he really, he really had, uh, you know, simple man. Uh, never had much economically. Uh, so uh, fortunately, he didn't. He did live there. He did grow up there because uh, you could. You, there was quality of life and and the experiences that uh, he was involved in. And uh, if he'd been born and raised in the city, yeah, uh, in the certain same circumstances, uh, you know, and I don't, I'm not sure that you really have the same quality of life there that you do in a, in a rural area, you know. So, so yeah, I feel, I feel like that uh, he wouldn't have changed a whole lot in his life. Yeah. He did, he did spend three years in the in the yeah. Second World War. Uh, he was a United States Navy CB. And uh, volunteered, and, and then ended up spending three years in the South Pacific in a in a place called at that time it was called uh, New Hebrides Islands, and it's a it's a series of eighty volcanic islands, at uh, and 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 then it's now called Vanuatu, uh, which is the native name for that as the natives took back the governorship of their of their islands and. You know, and, and I'm proud to say that you and I uh, went there. Yeah. 2012, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, we we flew to Australia, and then from there flew over to uh, the island that my father was on, which was called Espirito Santo, and uh, they built uh, landing strips there so that the Allied uh, air forces, air force planes, could land. And refuel on their way to bomb when they were bombing the Philippines. Yeah, and that's what he did. He built. He was CBs were like construction construction battalion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, and the reason why I think that's interesting, and like, it was like painting the picture of Milton, and then Grandpa living there his whole life, but then like for three years going on this crazy adventure to the other side of the world, Mm -hmm. and then coming back, and really, you know, I mean, I know he traveled a bit you know late in later years but really like staying kind of in that same area Mm -hmm. you know it's just i think that's a really cool adventure and for you growing up your whole life probably hearing about it you know probably hearing about his time on uh, yeah he had many pictures yeah and um you know and it was it's a third world country people you and i know this because we were there but people still live in open air thatched huts even now and you, you can imagine what it was like in the 1940s. And uh, my dad had all these pictures and stuff. I was fascinated by that. I tried to get him to travel with me and go back there when he was still alive, and, and he wouldn't do it. Uh, he, he, it was, I, I don't think it was as, I mean, it's, you and I know from being there again that it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. That's probably what Hawaii looked like before it, civilization like all the got there. and stuff. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, uh, and so it's a beautiful place, but uh, he he didn't want to go there. He had malaria twice while he was there. Uh, I don't think it was that pleasurable an experience for him. <laughs> Having was, malaria? Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> probably no. not. But but just the whole thing. Oh, really? So I, okay. I could not get him to go back with me, and yeah, and I I, I really and he didn't want to. He didn't like uh, the airplane travel. I mean, you and yeah, I. Yeah, a long. Fourteen hours from Los Angeles <laughs> to Sydney, Australia, and then. Uh, 300 miles out into the Pacific Ocean to get to Vanuatu, and and uh, he he would I'm not sure how he, how he would have tolerated that. So yeah, but I but I wanted to go. I've always wanted always had wanted to go. It was a trip of a lifetime for me. And fortunately, you uh, you went with me, and and uh, I I got out of that what I wanted. I really felt, uh, you know, I felt close to my father uh, there and to you also. And I really think that it kind of tied the uh uh the generations together yeah no that's super cool what would you say you know like looking at his pictures growing up uh, it was kind of like your first realization of 
like another part of the world or the fact that you could go fly somewhere and be in a complete because you know you growing up you're if all you know is your town that you're in it's hard to even imagine otherwise especially you know like before tv was super prevalent or movies or yeah yeah um certainly certainly i felt uh you know, like it was a part of the world that uh, was unlike any place else I'd ever been, and that I was really glad that that uh, we went there uh, and got to see that. I, you know, through some, uh, you know, some uh, investigation and and things, I was I had an idea of what, what it was going to be like, but yeah, just to be able to see that uh, was was really really great. Yeah, but when you're a kid, like oh. Did yeah, you, I had no idea. Yeah, no. I, no. You just were like, these are some pictures. Yes, yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, but you know, and you're, uh, you probably see more into them than what they what they are, and maybe even in that time more so because you couldn't look it up on the internet. Yeah, you know, and find pictures of everything and and all that. It was not something that was readily accessible. So those pictures were what I knew of uh, the New Hebrides Islands. Yeah, yeah. It was inter- it was I mean for me I was like wow man like I had never that summer Lindsay and I went to Italy and Greece that was our first international travel and and then like a, a couple weeks later I'm going to Australia and then these South Pacific islands and I was just my mind was open it was it yeah. was pretty awesome so there was one one island we landed on first that I would say is more of like an Australian vacation island almost right, right. called something i forgotten the name of the island the, the, no, 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 no 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 the, the 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 main city on that main island was called port vila that's right and uh, there were resorts and things there and then from there we flew on a, a tiny plane. a little hopper over to yeah. espirito santo i was a little worried about uh, were you worried because this is what you said <laughs> you were like do you ever hear the joke about the three guys on the airplane and the engines oh. are going out and i'm like yeah. don't tell me this joke right now i'm like looking out the window at the propeller engine, I'm like, all right, that thing, might, if it goes out, you're like, but if it goes out, there's still another one. You're yeah, fine. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so anyway, so then from there, we, we ended up in Espirito Santo, which was much more uncivilized. We, we, did, we were able to find a little place there on the ocean that it was kind of it was a neat little yeah. place to stay. And it was you, you could call it a resort. It was. And uh, uh, but it wasn't like there was 50 resorts all in that area. That was no, like the no. only one. The only like one on the aisles. Yeah, maybe. You know, so, uh, so yeah, we were kind of fortunate to find that. And, the re- and, and I think the biggest reason was that we were able to get food that wasn't going to make us sick there. You know, they told us they, they remember what when we'd go explore, then they would pack a lunch for us and stuff out of the yeah. place there. And we knew we we didn't think we were going to get sick anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I felt better about that than trying to eat uh, native food and things. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Because that was the worry that and malaria. Right. And yeah, that was had, my first time. Having, we had to take, we had to take malaria <laughs> shots. You had to go in stuff. and get the billions of shots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pre and they, and I don't know if you, your doctor said this, but they're like, okay, there's three different malaria medicines you can take. There's one that will, give you rate really crazy dreams and then there was another one and there was some other crazy side effect and i'm like all of these sound really bad so malaria must be way worse than these things yeah, you know yeah, um yeah. i was trying to bring up some of my pictures from ah, the trip okay but but yeah so i remember the first day we went around and we hired a we hired a local yep, who could drive which was super cool yeah it was and he I was able to take this. us around and find some of the old american uh, military stuff which was basically the, the the landing strips that had trees growing through them yeah and that type of thing but we also went to what is called million dollar point which was at when when the Americans left uh, that island when the when the war was over uh, it would have cost a fortune to have brought a million all dollars the bulldozers tanks all that stuff home and so they just uh, they just they just drove them into the ocean and let them sink. They that's kind of that's kind of bad. We think of that as being bad now, but that was the way they did it. They lit them on fire yeah. and pushed them. Didn't wasn't it like they were like, "Hey, Vanuatu, do you want to buy this stuff from us for a million dollars?" And they're like, "No." And they're like, "Okay, well, we're just gonna light it on fire and push it into the ocean." I'm sure there wasn't a million dollars in Vanuatu or in the New Hebrides Islands at that time. But anyway, so so we went to this place and uh, Chris 
you you snorkeled and I tried to snorkel and go down and you could see the uh, <laughs> it was you could super see all that wavy. stuff down in the you're getting uh, beat up pretty oh bad. yeah I couldn't I I've I've determined that's one of the other things that I'm yeah, not I'll able show to you the do picture. is is snorkel so anyway anyway so we did that and that was kind of a highlight um, you know when we were there so that was that was interesting yeah no that was cool because you jumped underwater and you know as a science teacher you I always hear these stories of like oh you know some people threw something in the ocean but now the reefs have reclaimed it and whatever and actually to jump in there snorkel around even though like I said it was so wavy yeah. we were getting, I wasn't down there more than probably like 15 minutes but um, and to see like all of this equipment you know, from the 1940s, completely submerged underwater, and now reefs are growing, fish are swimming in between everything. Like, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. I wonder, I, I mean, I can't imagine there's a lot of places like that. No, in fact, I, I think, I think that uh, Million Dollar Point in Vanuatu is one of the destinations for, uh, oh, really? for divers to go to. There's a bunch of diving right there, because then there's this big ship, um, which I don't have a name for, but there's this big ship that right. sunk there. It hit its own mine. Right. And, right. and I could be wrong about this, but I remember, I think I remember the story being they had set, they set a mine and then this big U S kind of Navy ship went out and hit the mine mm-hmm. and then sunk. Right. And the captain was like, I'm going down with the ship. And I'm like, no, does that count? Like, I don't think that counts. If you hit your own <laughs> mine, get yeah. off the ship. Well, he was probably too, humiliated probably from doing that you but know, still like, like that. But, come yeah, on man yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then, i can't remember what that's and then called we, and then uh we, we we were able to take kayaks and uh and paddle to uh what would this blue a hole blue, they call it's it called a blue, blue hole, hole yeah which, so, which is the water that comes up through the island yeah essentially there's like the ocean and then water goes underneath the island like an aquifer and so you're you're basically kayaking down this like River, like, it's only like four feet deep. Yeah, it looked, like a, looked like a Tarzan movie. Yeah, on the river, it's only four feet deep. And then all of a sudden, you get to this massive aquifer, and it's just the bluest water you've ever seen. The bluest like water you can ever see. I've never seen anything deep. that blue. There was something big swimming down there. I was too afraid to really look, but I remember well, you seeing swam it. You swam in it, though. Yeah, there was something yeah. under there because yeah. I saw oh, really, it, but it really. was like 60 feet down. I was like, yeah. I don't want to know what that is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to well, pretend was, I didn't see it. That was a cool deal, although uh, my kayak had a. Uh, had a leak in it and took on yeah. water, so we had, yeah. I ended up in the water, which did have sharks in it. Yeah, uh, and, and you you had to tow me to. Yeah, to the, we're going to across the shore. this bay, and we both have these kayaks. And the whole time, like getting on the kayak, I don't know if I know how to do this. So I'm like, you just sit in it and you paddle. <laughs> it's not that hard to do, you know. Like anyone can figure out how to po- kayak. And so we're going along, and you have to start going across this like probably like 200 yards in this bay. Of the ocean. So, like, right, the ocean, right. you're in the ocean at the start. You're, like, sea kayaking over to where the river starts in, right. into yep. the land. And I'm just watching you go. And all of a sudden, you just start shaking. Rolling. Ro- like, you're rolling back and forth. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> like, you just have to sit. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I look up, and you're in the water. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. And I come up to you, and I'm like, grab onto the boat. And you grabbed onto my boat with one hand held on to your boat with the other and I paddled as hard as I could to shore. Yeah, and then we found out that that was full of water and that's why yeah. it was rolling back. It had a door. hole in it. So instead of going back, we went ahead and did it and you took the you took the one with the with the hole in it. Yeah. And we had to, and then we had to stop about every 80 yards and yeah. take the water out of it. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was that was that was a good The whole time getting out of the boat too, I'm like, what parasites am I going to be catching right here because I'm like barefoot I remember there was a dead cow skull at one spot, like a really giant dead cow skull. And I'm pulling up the kayak and I'm trying to flip all the water out. And I'm like, I'm going to get majorly sick right now. Yeah. And that, then when we went down the river, we were the only ones on the river. There wasn't anybody, anybody else in there. And like I said, it was, you're in the jungle. And that was, that was so cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So, um, I mean the, this in particular, cause that was just a, such an experience I've never had because, yeah, you're at this beautiful place and literally there's nothing else around. You're in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to be Indiana Jones. I, I keep telling people, like, I think at work this year we had to do something that was like, what childhood dreams did you have? 
And I sat around for a while and I'm like, I don't know if I had it. What dreams did I have as a child? Like, I never really had a whole bunch of dreams, but I was like, you know what? I wanted to be Indiana Jones. <laughs> and going down the blue hole thing, yeah, you know, that that was, kind of, yeah. the whole trip, really, I felt oh, like no. Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's so. right. That's right. Yeah. So are we going we gonna to talk about the Millennium Cage? We should, yeah. So that All was right. like the big thing we did down there. It was like a little trek. Uh, it was called Millennium Caves. It was in, basically into the uh, jungle from some village, right? Okay. Well, you want me to tell the story? You go you for can, it. This is the way I remember it. I'll pepper. I'm not in. saying this is accurate, but well. this is the way I remember it. So, anyway, I, I we had read about this Millennial Caves thing uh, on Vanuatu, and and uh, I really honestly wouldn't have gone if Chris hadn't got me to go because I was 60 two years old then I believe 60 62 years old and I had read about everything that was involved and I wasn't sure I could physically do yeah, it but you're a fairly in shape well, 60 year old I, 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 okay whatever <laughs> so anyway so we decided this to do is it fresh off of surviving his almost drowning in the bay yeah and getting attacked yeah, by right, sharks. right so anyway so anyway we pay our money and it was like 75 bucks and these and you then the next morning you meet and they have this and there were like seven or eight of us had decided to do this and I looked around and I was the only one over 38 you know so I knew I was <laughs> it might be tough but anyway we get in a truck this uh, guy drives us up into on this mountain road up on into top of the, the mountains mountain, now. In, into the mountains up on top as far as we can go and we stop and then it was like a, a six mile walk back to this village which we we walked back to the village. Uh, very interesting. Like I said, open-aired thatched huts. That uh, they were used to people coming through there to do these caves. But anyway, then from there we had to walk to another village, which was another three or four miles down the road. And oh, by the way, in Vanuatu, uh, the the sacred animal there are pigs, and all their pigs running everywhere around the villages. Like and stuff. wild hogs. Wild pigs. Yeah. And in fact, well, no, I, the people owned them. But, there were goats too. And, it, I and if you if you looked. owned the most pigs, then you were the chief. That's the way they figured that. Okay, so anyway, we get to the second village, and then we meet our guides. I don't. Natives. I don't know if the pig thing's true. Okay, I think, no, I'm <laughs> almost sure it's true. Okay. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, so we get to the second village, we meet our guides, and they give us a flashlight. And uh -huh. water wings, basically, a little life well, preserver, okay, a little so cheap old orange life preserver. Let me add into the story here. So we had to go from this village. You had to hike into the jungle where in 2000, a couple guys hunting for boar yeah, had found discovered this cave. This cave. And this yeah. cave is 400 feet long. It's giant. It's a giant cave in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. And they discovered it. They almost like fell in it, apparently, from the top. Right. I think a dog, um, one of their dogs found yeah. it. Yeah. And so, you know. Some businessman determined, had figured that the people exactly. who lived in Vanuatu could we have no, very almost no income, could make a little money. Or that way. village, especially. Yeah. And so, once again, about the Indiana Jones thing, this is the most I've ever felt like Indiana Jones is walking in this village, going into the cave, right? And then I'll, I'll add in. When I stop feeling like Indiana okay. Jones. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So anyway, anyway, so now from the second village, we have to walk to the cave. So we walk along, and you honestly go over a swinging bridge. Yep. One of those bridges you see in movies. We had to walk across the swinging bridge across this huge ravine to get the other side. And then we got the other side, and uh, and I made the mistake of wearing sandals and shorts. Yeah, that was, okay. dumb. That, dumb. Was, that was a dumb mistake. No, 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 I don't think I had sandals on. I think I had uh, tennis shoes on. I have pictures. So anyway, anyway, so then you can see the cave down, way down and kind of halfway down into the ravine. So we went down there. Update. And, okay. You had sandals. I had sandals? I think. Okay, I'm not sure. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so then we go into the cave. The darkest place I have ever been in my life uh, is in this cave. And they forget to tell you, that you, there are boulders all the way through the cave and you're waist deep in water, okay, as you walk mm. through there. I beat my legs up on the, on the rocks because you couldn't see. You had a flashlight, but you couldn't see. And So we go through there. There are bats uh, yeah, they, by the hundreds in this cave. They kept shining it, and they, they were like, they 
they're big, like really big. They call them flying foxes. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're huge. Yeah. And they're like, oh, look over here. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's keep going. Keep all right. Going. So anyway, we we make it through the cave. And I beat my legs all up and everything. We get through the cave. Now you come out of the end of the cave into the bottom of the of the ravine, the valley, and to the most beautiful place I've ever been. Ex- it, yes. And this is the point where they took our stuff and hiked it back to the village so we didn't really have so the you didn't camera have cameras because they're like you're yeah. gonna get soaking wet yeah, right right and, and i wish i had pictures because it's just like this waterfall mind-blowing this yeah valley. this waterfall at the end of, of that you're looking at and, and all that and uh it's just it was incredibly beautiful and all the jungle greenery and all that so anyway now we are we got it now we're going down the down the valley down the canyon and we go and the next part of the thing our native guide says bouldering, bouldering mm-hmm. next. So you get down there, and now there are boulders as big as school buses, and everywhere in this in the bottom of this canyon, and you have to work your way through it. One, at one time, you had to crawl underneath this huge boulder, and it was just—I'm a big guy—and it was just big enough for me to get through. And you get through that, and so we that takes another 45 minutes. You're, like, moving your body in every way you possibly can to, to, to get, get through. through these weird, tight yeah, spaces. Exactly. And exactly. Meanwhile, you're still in the middle of the river, basically. Yes. Because the water is going through all these boulders yeah, somehow. Right, right. Yeah. So 45 minutes of that. And you tried to jump one. Do you remember this? No, I don't. And you bashed the crap out of your leg. Oh, okay. Remember? I do remember Here, now. Here's of. picture proof of your leg. <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew yeah. my legs were beat up. So, I thought I did it in the No, cave. there was one that you tried to jump over, oh. and you just smacked your leg as hard as you could in the boulder. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, we're in big trouble here. Yeah. All right. Now. So but then, you did good. Yeah. So yeah. Then, <laughs> then we get through the bouldering. Okay? So we're walking along. And now the native guide says, big swim. Big swim next. And this is the part where I stopped feeling like Indiana Jones. <laughs> anyway. No, because do you know what they handed us? Uh, I can't remember. They handed us those little tubes that little kids wear. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Like that Water you put around your deals. waist. Yeah, yeah. And it had Hannah Montana. <laughs> really? And I'm like, I'm in the middle <laughs> of the South Pacific here, yeah. in the middle of the jungle, Yeah. in that, as far away from Western side as I've ever been. Yeah, right. And I'm wearing a Hannah Montana. <laughs> I'm like Indiana Jones never wore a Hannah Montana right, floaty. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So anyway, he goes big swim next, and I go, no, wait a minute, I haven't swam since I was 20 years old. You know. So I said, so anyway, we get down. He's and like, you, the only thing you could do yeah, was would, to swim through these pools because he would have been just like, it looks like you're gonna die in the jungle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no going back. So anyway, so uh, down the, you know, I, I got on my back i backstroked i'd turn over there's no current none at all yeah. chest stroke about a 10 minute deal and then you come to the to a high spot so i couldn't even get up chris and one of the native guides helped me to my feet we walked probably 30 yards and now there's another pool exactly <laughs> like it so yep. i had to do it again so anyway i i was i would i had had it by the time we were we were done with the swim so now we get down now we're still in the in the ravine and uh, so now we're through the things they have for you. Now you got to get out of there. Okay. <laughs> now uh, it's not a nice leisurely trip out of there. He takes us over to where how we're going to get out. And basically you got to get up a cliff of about 60 feet. Okay. And here's, here's the way they did it was they, they had ladders they'd made out of wood, out of trees. And they had those on the side of the, of the cliff that you're going up and so you just basically i i never looked down i you basically had to go up uh 30 feet to uh, a ledge you got to a ledge and then you walked sideways hugging the cliff on the ledge until you came to another ladder going up again which you had to do again uh and so i did that i went first again i'm the only 60 year old on the trip you know, I get to the top of the second one. Now you're on another ledge, and you go sideways. And finally, you're about 20 feet from the top. And now there's no more ladder. They have a chain thrown on, over the yeah. edge of the cliff <laughs> and with footholds in the side of the, of the cliff. And you basically take hold of the chain and put your feet in the footholds and work your way up the chain until you get to the top. And I got to the top. 
went over the top and just kind of laid there until everybody else got there. I, 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 I have no idea how I was that I managed it. I really, hey, adrenaline, I really don't. Adrenaline's a powerful yeah. drug. It can exactly. get you up stuff. Exactly. I remember my heart skipped a beat during that. Oh, really? Like, I remember my chest. I'm like, what was that? What just happened to my chest? And my heart skipped a beat yeah, well, on those ladders. I, I was... I, I was pretty mad at you about that time for for having made me go on that. But well, anyway, once anyway again, I am now glad that I did it because I did it. Once but, again, uh, since they take your cameras halfway through, yeah, yeah, you all the pictures online are just you go to the cave. Yeah, you walk through right. the cave. Yeah, yeah, you don't see you all do see some stuff, pictures, a little bit of pictures of it. All yeah. the other stuff afterwards, the yeah. bouldering, right. The yeah. forty-five minutes of swimming yeah. and the like. Yeah, you don't have a night. rock climbing. <laughs> and now, and now, when you're up on on the top, now you got about a fifteen-minute yeah. walk back to the first village. Yep. So you get back, they give you a bunch of fresh fruit off the trees. They rubbed a bunch of stuff in they, the cut. I they saw I had my legs all beat up, so so he goes out in the jungle, and gets something he made a salve out of, and he yep. put it on my legs. And, uh, and anyway, so then, and w- the, the bathrooms were, you know, community yep. bathrooms, which were basically holes in the, and yeah. that you, you know, w- went into. And, uh, and, and so that was interesting, very colorful in the, inside the place where the bathrooms were. And then we had to walk the, the, the colorful seven or like, eight miles back whole, to the truck. Colorful co- from painting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah Just exactly. wanted to clarify. No, Just no, to clarify. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, then we had to walk back to the truck which was not, we still had six, seven miles of hike back to the truck. This is all in one day. Uh, I, again, I was in pretty good shape then, but a uh, 60 year old shouldn't have been allowed to have no. gone on. I'm that. glad you okay. did. That made it way more fun. Well, all right. And I'm glad you had me do it because I would not have, you know, I, it was an, it was one of the top three experiences in my life. Yeah. But, uh, I think some of my friends, if they listen to this one, they're going to be like, yeah, Chris has made me do some dumb shit, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, so that was that was quite a deal. It was a trip of a lifetime for me. And I got to do it with my with my 27 uh, year old son or our old. You yeah. Were then. And uh, so I it made it right. made it better. And again, I, I I honestly felt close to my my dead father and to you at that while, while we were there. And uh, I feel very thankful that we did that. We also did some interesting hikes and. Australia we did you know so anyway yeah, you know was a lot of fun. and in Australia we went to the zoo the day before and we saw the uh, it had the like top 10 most venomous snakes and they had them all and then it would say where they're located and like seven of them all where we were <laughs> yeah. and then the next day we're like let's go hiking and yeah. the whole time I'm like oh my god we're gonna see these poison or venomous snakes yeah. and yeah and so. we were in Karungai National Park and we saw almost no one in there on those trails we were in there. And then what was it? We were in the Blue Mountains. Yep, Blue Out, Mountains were cool. Blue Mountains were cool. And uh, we did so we did two days of hiking while we were while we were in Australia. Uh, so yeah, it was a great trip. I uh, yeah, you know I, uh, I I had planned that trip for three or four years and I got you know, on the news. Oh yes, the Sydney yes. Australian news. That's right. It was the weirdest five minutes of TV watching I've ever had <laughs> because. If you if you remember this, oh, I went I for a run that morning because mm-hmm. I'd wake up at before like, daylight. I would wake up at like four in the morning, just because I wasn't used to the time, and I stupidly only brought one sweatshirt because I'm like it's summer, but in Australia it's not summer, and so I'd go on a run in this stupid red sweatshirt every single morning, across Sydney Harbour Bridge down by the Opera House. Like yeah. it was a sweet run. One of the more famous places in oh, Australia. Yeah. Our, our hotel was right on the end of the yeah, bridge. Yeah, it was awesome. It was yeah. a great place to run. And I remember running by a camera crew and like not thinking anything of it. Uh, so then later that night, this is like honestly the true story of what happened. We were watching the news, ESPN Classic first, and on ESPN Classic they showed this old professional rugby game, and they kept talking about this guy named Friend, something Adam Friend, you know. And by the end, they zoom in on him because he's about to make the game-winning kick, and he's a fly half and. I turned to you. I'm like, that's my high school rugby coach. Oh, yeah. Because he played in Australia. I'm like, holy crap. That's Adam coach friend. <laughs> I didn't even make the connection. Um, and then you're, we watched that. We finished that. And then we flipped to the channels like five minutes later. Yeah. Which we never did when yeah. we were there. 
Because all they had on was snooker. Snooker and <laughs> professional rugby. Yeah. Had three different types of professional yeah. rugby. And like Australian rules football. Yeah, which was type of rugby. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we're flipping through the channels and we just ran. We stopped out of the news channel. They're talking about the weather that morning. Yeah. And they shows a tiny figure running across the Sydney Harbor Bridge. And I was joking with you. I'm like, oh, I bet that's me. <laughs> and then the next shot, zoom in. It comes right up, at you, came right at the camera. Close up of me just running in front of the camera. I'm like, what? What are the chances of that yeah, happening? Really, really. But, yeah. yeah, so it was cool. It was an awesome yeah, trip. So yeah. thank you for, for yeah. taking me out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, that definitely is one of the bigger adventures. I mean, travel-wise is the one of the biggest adventures I've ever done, but you've gone on a whole bunch of adventures, you know, a variety of sorts. You and mom used to raft all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did, uh, we did a month in Montana every summer. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, that, that type of thing. I did a trip into the Bob Marshall wilderness area with five other guys on a trip where we, we planned it pretty hard and then, uh, took a, uh, put all of our stuff and a guy we had to hire a mule train to take it into the river the south fork of the flathead river and then we floated out uh, and then the guy another guy picked us up at the end and then flew us uh back to our vehicles really uh, yeah through the through the bob marshall there you know so that was how big of an airplane oh very small yeah small he was a cowboy yeah. You know, he, he was, he, it worried me. How but. many swigs of whiskey did he take before <laughs> no. flying the airplane? Well, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, he, <laughs> he took, I didn't take any, but. Uh, you probably should have. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was, that was quite a. So where's Bob Marshall Wilderness at? Bob Marshall Wilderness area, if you know where Kalispell, Montana is, uh, that would be on the north edge of it. The south edge of it would be, uh, oh, what's uh, Lincoln, Montana, which is where the. Oh, what was the, the guy, that, the bomber, the Unabomber. His, uh, he was back in the wilderness right about in there. That's all wilderness up in there. It's and like there's no towns. No, no towns. Small towns, get, if yeah. any. Yeah, and so you, uh, that, that's, uh, th at that time, uh, which would have been 30 years ago, that would have been probably about as much wilderness as you were going to find in, in America. I don't know whether it still is. Or not, but uh, at that time it was a lot of a lot of you know that's big grizzly bear country and and uh, you know it was just that was a very unique unique experience. Uh, really really glad really glad to to have done that. How do so, you like how do you go about planning it? Like well at that time there was no internet or that's anything. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, so well, what do you, you just, do? You just get interested and you buy whatever books you can find on a, on a Bob Marshall and you uh, and then you read what you can read and. And then you start, uh, uh, they, they're usually in those books a reference to some guides and stuff. And then you make some phone calls and get something lined up. And you talk to somebody that knows that's been in there and you find out what you got to do, which was like, you know, hey, you got to hire somebody with, that's going to haul your stuff into the river. It was a, I think we walked 16 miles to get to the river before. And then we had to inflate our rafts. And then. Was uh, it your rafts? I, I, I owned a raft at that time. Yeah. yeah. It, and uh, and so we rented what we had to rent and and all that. And uh, the only mistake we made was the guy that brought our stuff in on the mule train. Uh, we offered him a beer before he left, and he he drank a good deal of our beer before we were able to get him out to, away from camp. So we were a little low on a, on the beer that we took along for the for the trip. But uh, yeah, I did that with some guys I coached with in Washington, Iowa. Okay. Um, and were they uh, and their sons and at their all? Son, like, because no, no. you were. were you I was the, the only one. I was the only one that had any experience. So did, you had a guide with you, though. No, no, no. So you were the it guide. Was, I was the guide. That was a do-it-yourselfer. And the How interesting part about that trip was that the guy told us when you get to the end of this, to a certain place, uh, there's an impassable canyon. You cannot. You go into that, you're going to die. Okay. And so he said. I said, well, how are we going to know when we're close to it? And he said, well, there's a sign. Send one person ahead, and if they don't come out, you'll know. He said, there's a sign on the side that says, pull out here. Okay, so anyway, so we knew we were the day we, we, we were in there a week, and we got out. and. Uh, Could you judge distance about? Yeah, because of landmarks. Okay. Okay, on the river. But anyway, uh, when we got close, we hugged the shore that, we, that the sign was supposed to be on. And as we came up there, here was a 10 by 10 sign that said takeout, and it was the same color as the rocks, 
you could have missed it so easily. Yeah, and and but we saw it, and and we took our stuff out, and then uh, and then and then we had to have the guy that was going to take us out. He had to come in with another mule train, take our stuff out of where we were, and then uh, and then we got back to his place, and then he. Flew. Oh, so that's where you stopped the trip at. That's where we ended up. That's where we got out of the river, and then okay. we and then we had to hike out, and then he okay, cool. he took our stuff out, and then he took two of us in the airplane and flew us back to where the. Where the vehicles. Oh, were. and then you had to drive. Yeah, and I had to, to drive everybody. back around to. Whoa. To get the other guys, so they camped for the night, and we. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It was, How long of a drive was that? Oh, it was fairly significant. I'd yeah. say three, four hours. Okay. I don't know. We were on like sixty miles of river, <laughs> you know, at the time, and we we picked. We went in August because that was supposed to be the, uh, the one month where they didn't get any snow up there, and it's and it, the second day we were in there, we woke up and there was snow covering around. <laughs> So uh, that's how that always works. Yeah, yeah. So, did you see anyway. any bears or? Uh, we did not see any uh, bears, but the the last day on the river, uh, our head football coach in Washington, a guy named Dale Harder, he got his sleep he got his sleeping bag wet. He didn't do a good enough job of putting on the uh, the guard. At that time, the only thing he had that was waterproof were garbage bags, and he and he got his sleeping bag wet, so he couldn't sleep in his sleeping bag, and it was chilly. So he stayed up and kept the fire going all night, trying to dry out that sleeping bag. And the next morning, when we got up and we started, and it was raining and that kind of stuff. And when we got up and walked around on the outside, there were there were bear tracks. Really? Yeah, yeah. So even we were, though he was out there, yes, yes. But I think we were fortunate that uh, you know that he was oh, up he was and there that night. he had the fire going really good. And, yeah. And so you know, maybe nothing would have happened anyway. But yeah. But there was a bear on the outside of the. I remember Outside we had a camp. cooler growing up with bare teeth marks That's in correct. it. That's correct. That was And yes. we had you kept that cooler for like oh, yeah, 20 I was, years. I was proud of that cooler. <laughs> you know, we had a you know, we were uh, camping and and uh, you, know, you were a baby actually. I was probably older than a baby cuz I kind of remember it. Okay. The dog hit me in the face with his tail and then the bear <laughs> in camp. Well, anyway, I was told there were no bears. We were in Georgetown, Montana, uh, camping, and uh, I was told there were no bears. And so in the middle of the night, uh, your mom... So once you're told that, you like yeah, you're more relax with yeah, everything. Yeah. So you, your mom says, I think there's a bear in camp. And I said, there's no bear in camp that people you told us that. got and, an egg on your face. Yeah, and about that time, I could hear him slurping down our milk, okay, outside. <laughs> When he after he broke into our cooler, so uh, so anyway, I got up, tried to scare him away, and uh, which he did. And then we went to the uh, to the neighbors. I remember we this. Camping I swear with, to you, I remember this. And we stayed in their camper for the rest of the night because of that because of that bear. So yeah. So anyway, he had he had just sunk his teeth into the top edge of the cooler and just jerked it open and and uh, got into it. And and so I I kept that cooler until it basically wore out yeah so you yeah. know those things that like as you're growing up you just assume are normal for everybody yeah i think that was one of them where i'm like everyone has a cooler with bear teeth in it right yeah. isn't this a normal thing there you go and there then you go. you'd go like we'd go up to people like see that bear teeth yeah and they'd be that's like right. what yeah yeah but then we could spice the story up and be like that's when we fought that bear off when i was like three no. put it in a headlock no i was that was my big concern at night was because you were in the you were with us and it was yeah i was afraid because no i know once you know, and i know we shouldn't have left that out but again i had been assured and even assured by the park rangers yeah that there they didn't have any issues with bears and that yeah. In that campground. But the one night that we were there, <laughs> yeah, there was one. So That's awesome. Anyway, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing the podcast, Dad. Oh, well, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Chris. I, I don't know that anybody, how I'm interested in anybody will be. But, uh, uh, yeah, I've led a, uh, uh, you know, a really satisfying life that has been involved with and with the outdoors. I've never ran 150 miles in five days like you have, but it was a different kind of outdoor experience. Of course, yeah. For me, but uh, but I'm so glad that uh, that you ended up an outdoorsman, and I can see it in your in your two two daughters because of what you do with them. That that I'll be shocked if they don't end up with some of that in them too. So, yeah, you know. It's well, just, you know what's funny is like I remember as a kid, like I said, I was I didn't always enjoy it. You know, like we'd go on fishing trips, and I'd sit in that boat for like eight hours, and I'm like. Yep. I want to get out of this boat, 
but I'm so thankful for it now. Yeah. Like, yeah. seriously. So I, I remember the first time you caught a 40-inch uh, northern pike and got it up towards the boat, and just you could see it. Yeah. And you went, I'm kind of scared, Dad. <laughs> Those things are scared. St- I'm still scared of northern pike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I'm kind of scared, Dad. I remember we had a, we had a video camera once, yeah. and uh, I caught one that was fairly big. And then you caught one, and on camera you had to be like, it's about, it's a little bit bigger than Chris's. <laughs> I'm like, come on. And then you slipped on all the slime. Oh, yeah. the that, boat. Was, that was the same day yeah. that you caught. That was the yeah. first one you caught yours there. That was the same and I was like, about. that's karma for yeah. you, man. Yeah, there you go. That's what you get. Yeah, <laughs> on, the, on the northern pike slime in the bottom of the boat. Yeah. You know, so. yeah but, well, anyway, thank you very sweet. much for yes. letting me do this. Sweet. So, okay. I'll definitely, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. All right. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Yep. Love you. Love you, too. Yep. All right, that wraps up this week's episode of the podcast. Um, definitely go on iTunes, uh, check out some of our old episodes. Uh, if this was your first time listening, join us next week. We have an awesome one coming up. Uh, football season's right around the corner, so we have a very football-themed episode uh, coming up for the next one. I think you guys will like it a lot. So, uh, yeah, um, thanks, to, thanks to my dad. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it was really cool just sitting down and kind of talking with him for for an hour and hearing some of his stories and retelling some of our stories together. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope he gave you some insight as to like, you know, why I love the outdoors and why I love adventures. Um, and like I said in the intro, uh, it's all about opportunity. So make sure you're giving other people the opportunity Um, and passing on the opportunities that you were given. All right, we'll get back at you next week. See you.